Stampede. Garner isn't number 82, recorded 124, 2021. When is more enough? Well, there's an important distinction to be made of more and enough. More is a human desire, and enough belongs to the natural world. More is what the economic system of consumerism demands. It's the basis on which our society has functioned for the last 50 years, when our currency the dollar, was made the reserve currency of the world. When that happened, we were incentivized to want more. It said we as Americans had to consume in order to succeed as the world reserve currency. You'd think by that process, America would become rich, that winning was everything that we were number one, and we could accomplish anything. We just had to work to get more. 
But the problem with that is boundaries are difficult to establish. Wanting more leads to needing more, and that can exist with people who have no control over their behavior. It's described in psychology as sociopathology. It is an individual who is driven to continue to commit horrendous crimes without remorse, like a serial killer. The psychopath demands more because there is pleasure in killing. There are no boundaries for those individuals, only the need to commit violence. Ironically, when America's dollar became the reserve currency of the world and our economic system of consumerism demanded that we wanted more, our government became a debtor country. And since 1971, for 50 years, our government has been functioning as a debtor country. It has continued to function without equilibrium, and it has continued to do so at record numbers. We've adopted what is called the modern monetary theory, and this works by the Federal Reserve Bank servicing the U.S. government's debt by lending it more money. The truth is, in order for the U.S. government to function, it has to borrow money from the Federal Reserve Bank because its revenues don't pay for its expenditures.
I'm not an economist, but there are many who would say there's nothing to worry about. When the use of the U.S. dollar became the reserve currency in the world, it did so by establishing the petrodollar. If any country wanted to keep its economy growing, it needed to do so through exchange rates, purchasing oil based on the value of the dollar. That can work as long as a government is stable. Using something for the basis of transactions in the purchasing of goods and services is only as good as the acceptance of the people who use it. I'm reminded of the tulip mania that came to an end in 1637, when the first recorded economic speculative bubble collapsed. At one point, a single tulip bulb sold for more than 10 times the annual income of a skilled craftsman. It has been reported during the mania one bulb could purchase 12 acres of land in Holland. My point is, the value of something can be exaggerated. People can be deceived into believing nearly anything. In some way, I don't mind illusions if they aren't harmful. Creative people produce illusions all the time, and if it's well done and isn't offensive to what is shown or heard, I, like many people, enjoy a good illusion. But if you look or hear an illusion that makes you wonder about your own safety, your own well-being, then you become very nervous. In fact, for a lot of people in this country, there is anger and hostility about their everyday lives. To be upfront about this, there is little contentment in this country, and a lot of it comes from the way people are manipulated into believing a certain point of view. Powerful people who run powerful corporations or whole industries want to make sure Americans follow what they think is important. And usually this involves the bottom line, or making money. But there are lots of reasons to believe the reporting of those bottom lines are distorted. And it's done so by people who are propagandists, trying to tell you everything is all right.
I refrain from talking about the lives of politicians, not because what I say about them could be unpleasant, but because it serves little purpose. Politicians, even notorious politicians, come and go, and only remain for me as curious personalities, with enormous egos, more concerned with retaining power than with really accomplishing anything of value. Now, on January 6th, an assembly of angry and hostile people surged past police lines and invaded the federal capitol. It's received widespread coverage in the press, and many people involved in that activity have been arrested or are being hunted by law enforcement agencies. Besides five people dying, one event stands out for me on January 6th. Someone stole Nancy Pelosi's laptop from her office. This raises several questions. If the laptop was a government computer used by Mrs. Pelosi to conduct government business, in some way it belongs to the people of this country. You know, like that old saying, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. Mi casa is su casa. Of course, some would say it's a theft, that it could be embarrassing to the working of our government. And if the authorities found out who took Madam Speaker's computer, that person or persons could face serious time in prison. Now, if I had possession of Nancy Pelosi's computer, the first thing I'd do for protection I would make hundreds of flash drives, downloading contents of that computer, and have it ready to send to hundreds of people, who in turn would download hundreds of flash drives and send them to hundreds of other people. Sort of like a chain letter. I'm all in favor of government being transparent. Politicians love avoiding giving an answer to a question by saying, that's top secret and can't be talked about. Now, Nancy Pelosi has been in government a long time, from 1986. But in truth, she belongs to a family with her father being a congressman in 1937 from Maryland and then the mayor of Baltimore, who died the year Nancy was first elected to Congress in California. Her brother also served as mayor of Baltimore. It's not a stretch to say Nancy wants her computer back, because it has top secrets she never told the American people. I'm sure how she and her husband have managed to accumulate over $140 million would be of interest to the public. Nancy loves serving, but for whom? She's got that power thing going on.
like I said, I don't like talking about politicians because although they all say they're looking for people who will vote for them, their true motives aren't for the people. Politicians who have been in high office, like Nancy Pelosi, belong to a rare breed capable of constantly getting reelected. And I'll speak openly about this without fear of retribution. You see, Nancy's father built what is called a political machine from favors, commonly referred to as patronage. You vote for me and I can help you to get a government job, a government contract, an appointment to a corporate board. So now you get the idea. It's a system of using your power to spread loyalty in order to retain power. And people who have spent 40, maybe 60 years in federal government are old hands at keeping a politician in office. A politician really isn't concerned with the needs of the people. If they were like Nancy Pelosi, the San Francisco congressional district she represents, and which she's represented for 40 years, wouldn't have people sleeping out on the streets or suffering from serious drug addiction or crime. No, Nancy is married to a man, Paul Pelosi, who amassed a fortune in real estate in San Francisco. And Nancy and her husband have several homes and own a winery in Napa Valley with her children assured a safe and privileged life. No, Madam Speaker belongs to a long line of powerful politicians who can tell other people what to do, just so long as they can have a good and trouble-free life for themselves. In many ways, those politicians don't resolve the problems that millions of Americans face every day. No, those politicians represent the problem. And I'm in favor of whomever stole Nancy Pelosi's computer. Find out what information it has, even if it were stolen.
I try predicting what the future will be. And to do that with some accuracy, I have to understand what's happening in the present. I could be all wrong about our future. Maybe everything is going to be all right, that I'm just an alarmist calling fire where there isn't any fire. I know people are more inclined to believe in an untruth, especially if it can make them feel good. It takes a lot for thousands of people so angry they would storm through police barriers and break into the U.S. Capitol building. And it takes more than someone urging them to do that. We are living in unprecedented times, times that are straight up in our face, like close to 400,000 deaths in less than 11 months from COVID-19, like millions thrown out of work, like the storming of the U.S. Capitol. Those are things we can all see, but many will tell you that we'll be able to turn the corner. We'll apprehend the people that incited the thousands that broke into the Capitol and even the people responsible for stealing Pelosi's laptop. Well, I'm not a propagandist. I don't try to convince you what doesn't exist. My job doesn't rely on persuading you into believing a certain point of view, especially if I had a lucrative paying job. No, no one pays me a lot of money to lie to you. I'm an artist, and I like seeing and hearing beautiful things, so I'm troubled by what I see and hear. I had a much different life than most Americans. I can still remember how it was for me, and I can see how you've changed. I never had to live like you, so I can see how you've been tricked and manipulated in order to keep the system going. I don't want to be a part of that world. I belong to something else, and I don't like the future that is coming. It's not a world of peace and contentment that's on the horizon. No, you've been lied to. Contentment isn't what's coming for you. It's something else.
This week on Garner Isn't, you first heard Philip Glass's composition, Ours, a 2006 recording. Then Sigin Akinola from the 12th series of Doctor Who, his composition, Something Revolutionary. And then another recording by Philip Glass, The Cades, a 1981 release. Then more glass with Dark Kitchen, a 1997 work. Glass is considered one of the late 20th century classical composers, highly regarded for his minimalist compositions, music built of repetitive structures with shifting layers. His repertoire include three film scores, nominated for Academy Awards. You then heard more of Segan Akinola for Doctor Who, a cuppa, and then a repeat cut of Glass's Facades. Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.